He is a combat-wounded military veteran. He is also an active-duty law enforcement officer. His mother, early in his career in law enforcement, died by suicide as a result of domestic violence. He's encountered trauma after trauma, both personally and his professional life. He's here to talk about that, the impact on him, his recovery, his book, and his podcast. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Calling us from Kentucky. We have Dexter Pitts on the phone. Dexter is a law enforcement officer from the Louisville Police Department. I, hope, I know I said that wrong because I'm not from there and I, I just can't pronounce it the right way. He's also an Iraq War veteran and author of the book, I Am Pitts, Memoirs of an American Patriot. And also his podcast is called I Am Pitts. Dexter, thanks so much for being on the show. Very much appreciated. John, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. First of all, before I forget, thank you for your service, not just in, in uh, the military, which is greatly appreciated, but also in the police department. It's a tough job. I did it, uh, and I know exactly how it is, and I'm the first one to forget to say thank you. Well, I appreciate it. You know, thank you for your service as well. You know, and I tell people all the time, it's absolutely my pleasure. You know, somebody has to do it right now. And <laughs> I loved the job until... Uh, it, it didn't love me the way I loved it. The truth is, I got hurt and retired young. I loved every minute of it. Uh, let me rephrase that. I loved 95% of it. I love the service. I love working for people. Uh, I, I, I hate to say this. I actually liked the violence. I must have because I was addicted to it. However, when I got hurt and then got retired, Dexter, it was the best, worst day of my life. Oh, I can absolutely say that. You know, it's this. I tell people this job, you love this job, but it really does not love you back. It does not redeposit much into you, but you have to look at what you're putting into other people, what you're putting into the community. And I heard this saying the other day that sometimes you got to plant trees that you won't be able to enjoy the shade of. And you got to plant trees for everybody else to enjoy the shade down the line. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to do now, especially with the way the country is. You know, there has to be somebody here to hold the line. Yes, I could leave. I could probably go do something else. But at the end of the day, I really believe in this job. I believe in our country. I believe in the Constitution. Right. Even the people that have said the worst things to me the last few years during the riots and protests, that's their right to do so. You know, there's a certain way to go about things and do things. And some of the things they say are criminal because they're violent, you know, and they're threatening. But at the end of the day, if you don't like a cop, you, you want to tell a cop you don't like them. You should absolutely have the right to, and that's what I fought for in the Middle East. That's yep. what everybody has fought for since the inception of America, is for people to have these inalienable rights, and that is the freedom of speech and freedom to gather and protest. But like I said, it has to be done the right way, 
we've not been doing it the right way here in this country for the last few years, unfortunately. No, we haven't. And, and that's something we could talk about at length. And it's easy to get into that. But what would be missing is your story. And one of the things that, that I really want to do is be able to talk about your story and provide a platform. And you're absolutely right about 100%. I fully support people's right to free speech. And they could tell me all day long they hate me. And I had nice responses to that. A lot of times they didn't like it, but I had the same right to free speech as well. So your career, how long have you been policing? Now I've been policing now a total of about uh, 12, 13 years. So you're running the edge of really being a salty veteran where you're like, oh, I don't, you know, you get grouchy Absolutely. and irritable and discontented. Do you have to find you, yourself fighting that urge? I do. I find it a lot more now, but I'll be honest being around a lot of the younger officers constantly reminds me of why I signed up to do the job. And it just, it re, you know, it reignites that flame that I need. Before we get into your police career, which is extensive, I want to talk about your career in the military. You served in uh, Iraq, correct? Correct. And you were wounded in combat. Yes, sir. A lot of times people don't get a chance to talk to people a bit. Here's something I say all the time, Dexter. It's so easy to fall into this trap of being hypercritical and judgmental of people. The person standing in front of you in line at the grocery store, the checkout, you don't know what they've been through. That could be a walking, talking hero. Um, and in your case, you, you were injured and you had to go through extensive recovery. Yes, sir. Yes, I did. Yeah, uh, January 2nd of uh, 2005, Abu Ghraib, Iraq. And I'm sure people remember Abu Ghraib from the news. That's where they, we had the prisoners and the U.S. soldiers were not taking care of the prisoners properly. And that really angered the people in Iraq. And so when my unit, Alpha Company 214 of the 10th Mountain Division, rolled into town, we were not liked. And then on the night of January 2nd, 2005, we parked our Humvee on the side of the road. Well, we had been there three days before in that same spot. And I tell people it's so weird, your sixth sense you know when something's not right. You know when somebody is watching you. I had that feeling all day. And when we parked in that spot that night, I knew things were not going to be okay. And lo and behold, we got parked on top of two 155 artillery shells packed with C4. And so that it blew our Humvee in half pretty much. And it was literally right up under my driver's seat where I was sitting at. And I was knocked unconscious. I mean, my left arm was pretty much shattered. Uh, my hips and back were blown out of alignment. I had my molars blown out. And after the mention, I took a real bad hit to the side of the head because I took my helmet off while I was sitting inside the Humvee. So I get medevac to the uh, combat support hospital in Baghdad at the Green Zone. And from there, I get flown to Longstuhl, Germany, where I have my first surgery. And the doctors do their best to piece my arm back together. And from there, I go to Walter Reed. And I have two stints of Walter Reed that were three months long. And I would endure... I think it was roughly about 12 surgeries. Uh, I had a metal rod put in my arm. But what almost killed me was a staph infection. I was about to go home, but my arm had swelled up like four or five times the size. And if you looked at my arm, I could probably feel it. That's how sensitive it was, like just touching it. I, and it was hot, and the doctor says, you get on that plane, you're going to be dead within a matter of hours. And so that's when they started my uh, irrigation and debris surgeries, going in and washing out the infection. And they were worried that the infection had actually already gotten into my bloodstream and was going towards my heart. But thank goodness they caught it early enough. And so I go through all that and rehab, learn how to use my left arm again. And what you're saying about people being normal in the store, in real life, me not noticing anything about them, 
Well, if you look at me on the outside, you would say, hey, he's got, he walks a little funny and his arm hangs a little funny, but no, you wouldn't know what that was from. But yeah, my left arm is pretty much stuck at a 90 degree angle. And I have a little hitch in my walk when I walk from the, from the blast and how it, uh, uh, what it did to my back and my hips. But lo and behold, I've never used any of that as an excuse. And so when I went to apply for the police department, they were looking at me like, no, no we don't know if this is going to work. And the, the truth is, working, years ago, when I was starting, Dexter, you'd have been disqualified because of that. Oh, I believe it. Absolutely. They almost disqualified me. You know, they, they looked at me and they said, well, you can't put your hands all the way behind your head to do the sit-ups. And you can't fully extend your left arm to do the push-ups. So they let me go through the test, and I don't know what happened, but I prayed about it. And next thing you know, they said, we'll hire you. Well, I'm glad that happened. How old were you when, when you were, were blown up, for lack of better words? Man, I was 20 years old. Dude, so young. Yes. And, you know, it's weird. I see 20-year-olds now, and 20-year-olds look like little little kids to me. And Ain't that the <laughs> truth? My wife and I, we watch television. We watch these shows all the time. We were watching the NFL the other day. And Zach Wilson, I can't remember what team he plays for, the Jets, quarterback. And my wife looks at me, and she goes, he looks like he's 12. How can he be a pro football player? <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, man, with age, everything looks a little different when you look into the rear, looking back over time, like, I see pictures of myself like, my God. Oh, so I young. what I was doing then. <laughs> so young. And, you know, my hat's off to uh, our military men and women. And, you know, our young rookie police as well. It's so easy to fall in the trap of calling people millennials, Gen X, Gen Y, whatever Gen it is, and they're this, they're that. Truth is, they're some of the toughest, most determined people I've ever met. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to turn our conversation with Dexter Pitts in just a moment. There's so much more coming your way. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. on the clubhouse drop-in audio chat app be sure to look for me and follow me my name's john the letter j wiley w-i-l-e-y you can also search for at l-e-t radio show that's john j wiley w-i-l-e-y at l-e-t radio show on the clubhouse drop-in audio chat app Current conversation with Dexter Pitts calling us from Kentucky. He is a Louisville Police Department police officer. He's also a United States military veteran, combat veteran, served in Iraq. And before we went to the break, you talked about the explosive device that blew up your Humvee and you were severely injured. And that's the type of explosion where lots of people are killed. So I, I kind of feel honored that I get to talk with you on the show because. I know it may sound dramatic. You're walking, talking miracle that you're alive and be able to have this conversation. You know, that's, it's been almost, it's been 17 years. And, you know, I still question and wonder, ask God, like, why am I still here? Obviously, you know, there's a reason for you to be here. There's, clearly there is. You know, I know so many good young men and women, military and law enforcement wise, that are no longer here. And one thing I always ask is, God, why have you given me 17 additional years, but some of my buddies never got that second chance. And that's that part of that survivor's guilt that I will always carry with yeah. me. But I try to live my life in a way to honor those guys and make the time that I've, extra time I've been given worth it. I, I'm glad you said that because I, I've often questioned, you know, how, how did I make it? Yeah, I'm scathed. I've got physical injuries. I got steel plates uh, and other injuries you can't see. However, 
so many people didn't make it through the Baltimore Police Department or other departments that died in the line of duty, they were killed. And, you know, first I think, I used to think, Dexter, that maybe this was a, a survival mechanism. It's because I'm really good at what I do or whatever it might be. Then I realized as I get older, no, these guys were great police too. They had God on their side. They had everything and they didn't live and I did. And I don't know the reason why. Yeah, and that's one, you know, my, my pastor's always told me, he was like, some answers will never get down here. It's when, you know, we close our eyes and wake up on the other side, we'll learn why we're still here and what our apps, you know, what our purpose was. And I don't question it anymore. I just kind of accept that that's the way it is. You know, one of the hardest things for me was being hired as a police officer and then going through the academy and everything involved, the physical training, the books, law, police procedures, you name it, and every state's different. How challenging was it for you being in the academy, especially with your injuries from combat? So going through the academy for me was rough because just the sheer amount of time. When I went to Army Infantry Boot Camp, it was 14 weeks and done. I described the police academy as Groundhog Day. It was just almost the same thing over and over for 32 weeks. And then just constantly having, you know, they made me a squad leader. So for me, it was having to take care of myself, but also trying my best to take care of those in my squad. And so that was a, a level of stress I was not used to because I wasn't a squad leader when I was in the Army. I was just a low-level guy. You know, I was just a machine gunner. And somebody was always telling me where to go and what to do. And then when I get onto the police department and the academy, it's like they tell you what to go, where to go, what to do, but to give you parameters where you can kind of do it yourself I mean, they're not necessarily watching you 100 percent, and it's up to you to get the job done and so i it was a it was a challenge but i made it through and that's just because of sheer stubbornness yeah, <laughs> I I hear everybody. You. my wife will tell you that <laughs> well one of the things i know from your story is that after graduating academy being on the streets your mom died yes absolutely yeah it's um August 29th of 2010, I was actually done with my first phase of field training. And I was reporting the next day to my new division, to the second division. But before that, I had to go work the Ironman detail. So I was out on the Ironman detail on the road. And I remember I got this phone call and I answered the phone. And somebody says, this Officer Dexter Pitts, I'm like, yes. And they tell me, your mother's been shot. You need to get to the hospital. And so I hang up the phone thinking it's a prank. This person calls back again, and I pick up the phone. I'm like, hey, man, stop playing with me. This is not funny. Hang up the phone. Calls back a third time, and that's when I'm like, well, maybe this is really something. And he tells me he's a detective from the Radcliffe Police Department. So my partners at the time get me in the car, and we drive Code 3 to University of Louisville Hospital. And I'm sitting there at my mother's bedside. And the one thing I remember is the brown paper bags on our hands to preserve evidence. And the gauze wrapped around her head. Come to find out that her and my father were involved in this domestic violence incident. They were married for 28 years, but had recently divorced. And some sort of incident happened at the house. And the next thing you know, my father shows up at the police station covered in blood and has hot water thrown on him. And my mother is found in the car with a bullet wound through her head. And at the age of 26, I had to make the call to take my mother off life support. And this is how I started my career. And there's, there's nothing I can say that will be adequate, an adequate response to that. You and I both have gone through call after call after call where we've seen people that go through this and 
there's just there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just horrific every time it happens. But I can't imagine this happening to you personally right after field training. Right after field training. And you know what's worse? So I go through the rest of my training and, you know, and I just kind of sweep it under the rug. Then I have a real bad breakdown at work and I start having, you know, suicidal thoughts and whatnot. And my chain of command steps in and saves me. And they send me away. They tell me 30 days, go away, take care of yourself. And the crazy part, John, is when I came back to work at that at 30 days, I was good and recharged and ready to go. My first call out the gate, first call for service, is a suicide where a mother shot and killed herself in front of her family, her kids, and her husband. And that was my first call. I know how you handle it. Here, here's the reality of what you do. We have an idea of all the things we have to do, all the procedures, investigative techniques, all the things, protect the crime scene, do all that stuff. And yes, suicides are treated, at least in my department, like homicides until proven otherwise because you can't redo. So it, for me, quite often it was afterwards, especially dry, I tell people I cried many times in a patrol car. How were you when you had to deal with this right after returning from your, your breakdown? See, I thought I was good, but the good thing is I had a good partner. Her name's Beth Langford. She's phenomenal. She's always had my back. She looked at me and, and saw I was not okay. I tried to tell her I was okay, but she was like, no, you're not okay. You need to leave Dexter. And I took her advice and I left. Like the best advice that she could have given me. I tell people all the time, I'm okay. I'm fine. And what that really means is I don't want to talk about it with you. Absolutely not. And we have this problem with a lot of military, a lot of veterans, and a lot of officers that that old school mentality of I'm okay. Don't worry about me. I got this. And I tell people the one thing that I, that I love about cops, but also the thing I don't like is we can save the world and solve everybody else's problems. However, when it comes to our stuff and our problems, we can't, we can't save ourselves. We can step into your situation and be like, hey, this is what you need to do to fix this, this, and that. But when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we can't fix ourselves. We're talking with Dexter Pitts. Dexter is a police officer in Louisville, Kentucky Police Department. He's also an Iraq War veteran, uh, injured in combat. We talked about that. We'll return to that conversation. Uh, shortly finishing uh, field training, his mom died is it by suicide or is it domestic violence or it doesn't really matter? It was suicide, but it, it was a result of years of domestic yeah. violence. So it, it, I, the term I've, I've learned to use is died by suicide because so often we were taught to use the terms committed suicide. And, and that really doesn't do justice for what the people went through also in my opinion comes off rather judgmental this is the law enforcement today show we're talking with dexter pitts we have so much more to talk about believe me you don't want to miss a moment of it we're taking a short break we'll be right back has this ever happened to you you sign up for a free email newsletter and within hours you're receiving tons of spam that won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign up area. That's letradioshow.com. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? 
head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Return conversation with Dexter Pitts. He is an Iraq War veteran injured in combat, severely injured in combat. He's also a Louisville Police Department police officer. He has authored the book, I Am Pitts, Memoirs of an American Patriot. Love the title, by the way. And he is also a podcaster. His podcast is called I Am Pitts. Dexter, first of all, you've done so much. You've And I hate to use the word overcome because it's so overused and people use those the reality is, if you're like me, you kind of learn to live with a lot of things, and you find a way to to live better, but they never really quite go away, do they? They know things never go away. I tell people, you know, with time, pain lessens, but the pain is always still there. It's a reminder, and we need that pain, though. We do, and I, I, a great example is my father. He died of cancer a long, long time ago. Uh, and there's an old saying that time heals all wounds. And, and the reality is, in my case, it doesn't. What happens is I've grown more used to it. I learned how to deal with it better. And I guess you could say a lot of the same things about police work and all the violence and, and friends that were killed and being on scene when people took their last breath, all that stuff has a toll, it takes a toll on you. Now, your story Add into that your mom's suicide and your combat injuries, and I really don't know how you have managed to make it so far. You know, I, I like most a lot of tough guys. You know, we put on the superhero cape, and like I said, I can solve everybody else's problems. But because of a good chain of command and a good sergeant I had, people knew that I was not okay, and they stepped in to help me. For example, in my book, how my book opens up, I talk about this traffic traffic stop I had made and. West Louisville, where as I was walking up to the car, I was hoping that the person in the car had a gun and that they were going to jump out and shoot me and kill me because I did not have the courage to do it myself because I wanted to die. I just didn't want to do it in my own hand. And for me, I wanted to die a hero's death so that people would be like, man, this was a great officer that was shot and killed, but the guy that killed him was a monster. But as I said, this guy wouldn't have been a monster to me. He would have been my hero. I wanted to die. I just didn't have the courage to do it myself. And, I mean, I became reckless at work. I was going, you know, driving lights and sirens, not wearing seatbelts. I mean, I had tombstone courage. I would go clear houses by myself, just trying to show how tough I was. I mean, it was not until I had an AD, an accidental discharge, with my, with my shotgun, when my sergeant, who's a former Marine, and he's got one leg. He lost his leg in a motorcycle accident, and he came back. His name's Kevin Trees. That man saved my life. He pulled me aside one night at the gas station. We pulled up car to car, and he ripped into me. And I remember him telling me, you were Army infantry, combat wounded. How do you have a negligent discharge with a shotgun? And I had just been holding all this stuff in for months. I mean, I was going through a divorce at the time. My sister ran off with the life insurance policy. I literally had nothing or no one. And I thought nobody cared about me. And seeing him care so much about me, made me realize I need to get myself together and that there were people in this world that still cared about me. So that's when I hear this talk about black and white. When I think about my fellow veterans and I think about my fellow officers, they didn't care that I was black or white. I had a mostly white team of command, but guess what? None of that mattered. They saw me as a good officer. And they pulled me aside and gathered together and loved on me and helped love me back to help. help. And they could, I was still on probation when this happened. 
They could have just pulled the plug. A lot of times, if you're on probation, you're fired. It's over and done with. Absolutely, but that's not what they did. They saw me who I was, and they saw that a fellow officer, a young man, was going through a rough time. And that is why I've always... I don't use my podcast to talk down about my department. You can find anything wrong with any department. But the place where I work, they pulled together and they took care of me in my most dire time. So that's why I tell people I don't down talk my department because I know the department I come from and what the officers in the chain of command have done for me. And I'm grateful to them for that. You said earlier in your story you had a breakdown and they sent you off for help. So I imagine you were still probationary at that point. Oh, yes. That is unheard of to, to have happen. Uh, and you went away for 30 days, and when you came back, you, you were feeling pretty good. I'm on track. I'm doing all right, and I know how to handle things. I'm sure you had more tools in your arsenal or tool belt on how to deal with things. And then you get this heavy-duty call, domestic violence, and your, your partner says you're not okay and is willing to have a conversation with you where they're willing to hurt your feelings to save your life. Absolutely, and that is what has to happen. I said, you can play tough all you want, but the people you work with every day that know you know when you're not okay. And if she wouldn't have felt confident enough to step out and call me out, who knows what would have happened if I would have just stayed there on that scene and that took care of myself in that moment. All the work I did to get myself better to get back to be on the job, that could have all just been washed away, but because I had a partner that cared about me and knew me enough and told me, hey, step away. I mean, you, this is why I love this career, the people yeah. I have worked with for years. Well, it, it's one of the things I try to tell people, and I know it's not the right phrase. We work by what we call squad concept. So if someone was having a bad moment, a bad day, you took and say, hey, I got this. You get in the car, go in the station, go do something else, and, and we got it from here. Everybody had days like that. Everybody. And we were always there. We expected the best from each other. We worked hard on each other. And sometimes we were brutal with each other to get better at our job, to be better at serving people. All those things. The basic I was taught, Dexter, was treat everybody with respect until they change the tone of the conversation. Uh, so... The, the squad concept sounds like it saved your life. Absolutely. And it's actually working again now because I'm sure, I don't know if everybody's aware, but we lost an officer here in Louisville on December 18th. It was my partner, my sector partner, my friend, Officer Zach Cottingen. I mean, he was up on the interstate and he was hit by a car. And, you know, some of us went to work a week later. Me, myself, and another officer, we took a little bit more time because Everybody, you know, mourns different and recovers different. Some people just want to get back to work, and that's okay for some people. Me, I had been in the situation before where I was not well and was on duty, and I did not perform well. And if I'm not performing well as an officer, guess who suffers? The people we swore to protect and serve. And so I took that extra time to come back to work, and I just went back to work this past Friday. And like I said, am I 100%? it's going to take time when you lose losing somebody that you're on shift with, that you were just with 10 minutes before, then all of a sudden you're at roll call and they're no longer there. It's not going to be something you recover from overnight. It's going to take time and it's going to take a while for this one because this one really hurt all of us because he was such a good guy. And I don't just say that because, but he was legit a good man. I mean, we learned at his funeral of things he did for people 
that I had nobody had ever had a clue about. He told nobody. And that's why, as I tell people, that's why I love this career, because I get to work and meet with people like Officer Zach Cottingham. I'm sorry that this happened to him, his family. When I say family, that's both blue and blood. Uh, and uh, it brings up so many memories of, of, of people that, that have been killed, that had died. Uh, and it doesn't get easier. It stays with you. I think, you know, so many of my guests on the show say that I'm damaged goods, but I'm okay with it. And then we kind of laugh because everybody's been in policing for any period of time, in America at least, they're going to come out of it dinged up. Absolutely. I mean, you, the amount of trauma we deal with on a daily basis, you know, people might have two or three traumatic incidents in their entire life. We might have two or three a shift. And that's just one shift for the week, you know, and we just constantly stack this trauma. But I think that's why the men and women of the Thin Blue Line are special, because nobody else can do what we do. But at the same time, you know, people say, I don't know how you do what you do, officer. And then I look at somebody working at a factory on an assembly line for eight hours a day, I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how some people do the jobs they do at all. We're talking with Dexter Pitts. Dexter is a combat wounded veteran. He is also a Louisville Police Department police officer. He is the author of the book, I Am Pitts, Memoirs of an American Patriot, and he is also a podcaster. His podcast is called I Am Pitts. This is a Law Enforcement Today show, and we return to our conversation with Dexter. We're going to talk about his trials, tribulations, and how he has made progress with post-traumatic stress and much more. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. John discovered a cool new app, and he just can't put it down because it has millions of great podcasts, including Law Enforcement Today. So now you can listen anytime, anywhere, and also chat with John. It's called Podopolo. It's free on either app store, so join John there. Follow Law Enforcement Today and DM John when you do. That's Podopolo. Download it now. Law Enforcement Today Show, return a conversation with Dexter Pitts. Dexter is a Louisville, Kentucky police officer. He is also a combat wounded veteran, wounded in Iraq. His mother died by suicide after ending his field training. He's authored the book, I Am Pitts, Memoirs of an American Patriot. He's also a podcaster. His podcast is called I Am Pitts. Dexter, you've been through a lot. You're doing a lot. And before we went to break, we're talking about how people do certain things and sometimes you know i talk to my mom periodically and i say i appreciate all you did you and my dad i don't know how you did it i and i have two adult children i still don't know how they did it um and what i want to do what they did with five kids back in the day and what a navy active duty person made no we were all poor everybody was poor everybody's in the same boat we were in we didn't know any different so having said all that, you've had a rough a rough hand dealt to you uh, between serving in Iraq, your mom's death by suicide, and, and then all the things we see in law enforcement and, and the death of your, your partner, your friend, your, your sector uh, buddy. Uh, I, I'm so sorry that you've been through all these things, but the truth is, we all have, and I hate this term, we all have our crosses to bear. You've got a big, some big ones, and you've made it so far. But it sounds to me like you've not made it this far without help of other people. Absolutely. You know, as I say, 
good friends and family and that's having a good core group and somebody people that love you and support you people that are willing to call you out when you're not willing to face your own demons that is absolute key in this profession and to anybody in life for me my wife she is phenomenal and now this is how you know i'm a real cop and a real veteran this is my third marriage so i had to go through two horrible marriages in order to find her well, you and know what they'll tell you, Jesus right? Jesus. Is if something happens to this marriage, don't you ever do it again? Absolutely, it, it would be me at this point. But you know, we've been together going on ten years, and she is my absolute rock. I mean, she has supported me on my worst days. You know, the days I come home after after working the protests and the riots, and you know, I would start having dreams about Iraq again because of all the stress. You know, she would push me. Hey, you need to go to the VA. You need to go talk to somebody. You know, hey, you're drinking too much. You Tell her I said that. Down. Tell her I said thank you. And, and I, I'm very similar. You know, my first marriage ended in divorce. It wasn't what either one of us wanted, but it was, we, we didn't have the tools we have available now. My wife, we've been together 20 some odd years, and it's a, she's the best thing that ever could happen to me. And to be honest with you, she really gets as much as someone who hasn't gone through these things, she gets it more than most. Absolutely. You know, and, they go through these, you don't suffer alone. That's the thing. People think that they suffer alone. When you're married or you have family, you have friends, you don't suffer alone. It's a choice to suffer alone. But just the family suffers with you when you cut yourself off from your family and friends, when you're not talking to anybody. It affects them. My wife this past week told me, hey, you've not talked to anybody. You've not really been around. Because I've been kind of mourning my partner in my own way. And in doing that, I didn't realize how it was affecting and hurting my family. But that's what it, I what I needed was her to come out and tell me, hey, you're not doing okay. And I'm forever thankful for that. We use the term post-traumatic stress disorder. That's the, the, the defined medical. I don't like the term disorder. I don't like that part of it. I prefer to use the term post-traumatic stress injury. To me, this is a lot like... If you compare to orthopedic injury, no one expects me to be like I was at 18 before all these other shoulder surgeries and whatnot. So for me to expect to have the same emotional, mental, and biological, physiological responses to stress or anger or or threats is kind of ridiculous. How would you describe your condition? I would I would definitely describe it as that. I'm diagnosed with the VA and. I take medications to help me, but I tell everybody the most important thing I have done is talk about it and write about it, which is why I started writing my book in 2014, because we carry all this stuff around, this load of emotional baggage and just all the trauma we've suffered physically and mentally, and we never unload it, and we just keep stacking more and more trauma on top of it. And then we always wonder when you have a tough guy like a Navy SEAL or a Special Forces guy or just an everyday military tough guy that all of a sudden kills himself and everybody always wonders what happened, why? Because we never offload or unload this stuff. We just carry these, you know, we just carry these burdens we were not meant to carry by ourselves. And so for me, writing was my, it started being my therapy in 2014. Just getting all the trauma and stuff I went through as a kid my time in Iraq, my divorces, my mom's suicide, family issues, stuff under the police department, the riots, just writing, it just unloaded my mind and my heart, and it makes me feel so much better. Now, it's not, I'm not 100% PTSD-free whatsoever, you know, but I have nightmares and dreams, but I know how to cope now. And because of that, like, that is why I do the podcast, 
because it gives me something to focus on and look forward to. And everybody wonders, like, why do you keep serving as a police officer when technically I am retired by the military standards? I don't have to work. But I keep working and serving because I know that if I'm not working towards something or serving others, I start to focus on the not-so-good parts of my life, and I lose focus on what's important in life. I tell and people all the time, if, if I'm not busy, my mind reverts to the past. And my brain is like a really bad neighborhood. You don't want to go there by yourself. I need to stay busy. Absolutely. And that's why I continue to work, even though I said I could not work and my bills would be paid. But also, that's not the example I want to set for my kids. My kids are eight and six. I don't want them to see daddy just getting up every day and hanging out around the house. I want them to see daddy working towards something so that they can see, hey, I got to get up and I got to work, too. Because I can't tell them to go work towards something that I'm not working towards anything. That would be a hypocrite, and that's not the type of example I want to set for my kids or for other people in this country. I want people to see you can go through hardships and endure, but it does not stop there. You have to keep going. And I said, don't focus on yourself. Focus on helping other people as well. That's, that's the ultimate the relief about life is about. The ultimate relief for me from myself is to focus my attention on how I can help others around me. Absolutely, and that's that's and that's why I do what I do. Like I tell people, my job makes me thankful for the life that I have. <laughs> I, I want to shift gears to your book, your podcast. You've got so much going on, Dexter. First of all, where can people find out more information about you, your podcast, your book, etc.? So, if you want to get a copy of my book, you can go to iampits.com. There, you can read the synopsis of my book. And you can go ahead and order the book. There's links to Amazon and Barnes and Nobles on there, or you can just go directly to Amazon.com and find the book. And also, I run a podcast, the Iron Pitch Podcast. You can find that on Apple, Spotify, and uh, Google Podcast, and also uh, Amazon now as well, and many other platforms. And Podbean. How long have you been doing this podcast? I actually just started in March of last year, and that's because. Uh, my uh, a buddy from my police academy, who's a former Army Ranger, he was like, you're talking about it, but you're not doing it. I was like, you know what? You're right. I didn't Kudos know what to I was him. Doing. I Tell him I said talking. thank you for pushing you to do that. <laughs> I will. I will. Shout out to uh, my buddy Paul Cobb. Man. So, so much of what we talked about, and you, you are one of these people, I think you're really blessed in that you have partners that – are willing to step on your toes to say things that'll hurt your feelings to save your life. And a lot of us, we don't have those conversations. And I'm not speaking we as in police or law enforcement or we as in military veterans. I'm talking about older guys. Quite often, we don't have these conversations. We don't say, hey, by the way, you don't look okay. And there was a time where I wasn't okay. And this is what I was going through. And this is what I had to do. Absolutely. And that's what one thing I want to do with the podcast and the book. I, I want to change that old way of thinking where we just suffer, be tough guys. That has to go away. Because once we can get rid of that, we can save more officers' lives. And we could provide the people we serve a better quality product as well. I'm glad you said that. I, I am so selfish and self-centered. If I have a medical emergency, I want the A-team showing up. I want someone who's really, really proficient at their job. And normally, it's going to be law enforcement first. And I don't want the, the, the B-string coming in. And I don't want someone who's really struggling. Uh, Dexter, I want to thank you for your service in both the military and in the Louisville Police Department. 
Thank you for authoring your book. Thank you for running your podcast. But most importantly, thank you for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Show, sharing all this tough stuff with us. It's very much appreciated. Mr. I truly appreciate you all for having me on. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.